Welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Pat DiMartino, and this is the very first edition of the Ahead of the Curve podcast. And our goal here is going to be a simple one each Monday. It's going to be to unpack the games that I watched from the previous week uh, in the hopes of extracting useful information that can give us an edge over the raw data uh, moving forward. Uh, obviously, algorithms are used to create lines, and football is notoriously difficult to quantify. So it's sort of been a passion of mine over the years to to dig deeper past that uh, peripheral layer of data and, and try to jump on things uh, before the public does. Um, to be fair, I'm going to build in uh, two excuses right off the bat. Number one, I'm battling a monstrous cold. So if my voice is a little nasally, that's the reason why I apologize for that. And secondly, I was more focused on the Masters this week. So I didn't get to see as many games as I normally would like to, and with as much of a level of focus. But uh, by the way, shout out Dustin Johnson, a, a tour de force performance at Augusta, uh, a well-deserved win for uh, for DJ. But let's get to uh, the uh, the football games from this past week. I'm going to start with college and then work my way to NFL. And how do I start with college without starting with Maction. And the first game I watched this week was Miami, Ohio against Buffalo. Two of the better teams in the MAC. Buffalo is just uber talented. I've actually seen Miami, Ohio twice this year. Uh, their opener against Ball State and now the Buffalo game. And this game on paper <clears throat> looks worse in my opinion than it, than it actually was for Miami, Ohio. They came off an emotional win against Ball State, a team that was picked to really contend for the MAC championship this year. And they just got into a negative game script right off the bat with really just high-variance plays. They had drops on plays that could have been 50, 60, 70-yard touchdowns. They had guys wide open, and they just were unable to take advantage. And a negative game script against Buffalo is a really bad place to be. They just have superior talent. They're going to run the ball down your throat. Tough spot for Miami of Ohio. Uh, I think they're going to get healthy during this bye week, and then feast on a horrific Akron team. And that, again, that game is not this week. They're, they have a bye right now, but I'm going to be looking to play Miami, Ohio next week um, at Akron. I would assume the line is going to be in the 26 to 28 point range. Uh, I, I would play anything 34 or lower. They're just a much better football team than Akron, who's one of the worst teams in FBS. The next game I watched was Ball State. Eastern Michigan. Now, Ball State's a team I've kind of been chasing since the opening week. Yeah, I watched them against Miami of Ohio. They, they lost a tough game there. And they had their backs up against the wall against Eastern Michigan. And EMU has sent a lot of good players to the NFL. They have a very strong foundation in their program. They're not expected to be that great this year. So the data probably will not favor Ball State coming out of this game. But EMU played a, a big-time ball game. They, they really should have won. And I think this gritty win from Ball State will kind of propel them uh, going forward. They get a really good matchup next week home against Northern Illinois. They opened at 13-point favorites, Ball State, uh, and already moved to 14-and-a-half. I don't see it coming back down. So if you're going to get on Ball State again this week, uh, I think the sooner the better. I think 14-and-a-half is a good number. You, you may want to buy it down to a flat 14 or 13 and a half. But Ball State's a really good football team. They had two, they're battle tested now. They had two of the toughest games they're going to play all year already under their belt. I think they're going to look to fatten up against the Northern Illinois team, who historically is very tough, 
but that that past coaching regime is gone. They're kind of on a, a second-rate staff right now, in my opinion. So a, a very favorable spot for Ball State. And uh, like I said, Miami, Ohio, two weeks from now, I think both of those teams will get wins against the spread. High on both going forward, and that's pretty much it for my MAC roundup. The first um, <clears throat> real college football game, if you if you put it that way, uh, that I watched this week was Penn State Nebraska, and you know Penn State goes to zero and four. A lot of people are absolutely burying them, rightfully so. I mean, it's it's almost it, it really is unheard of to see. Uh, Penn State team winless through four games. They had some tough matchups, though, to be fair. I thought this team really was infused with some energy when Will Levis came in at quarterback. He played well. I watched his high school tape. He's obviously a, a stellar athlete. He's a smart kid. He's an all-academic Big Ten kid. I think he's going to really relish this role. They're going to roll with him going forward. They get Iowa this week. They're two-and-a-half-point dogs at home. I think that's an absolute must-play uh, hammerlock on Penn State. You know, this is a good time to buy them. The, the one thing about James Franklin, you may hate his play calling fair, and, you know, just overall game plan, game management. That's totally fair. I wouldn't disagree there. But he culturally is very strong, and that team has a very solid backbone. I think people may be sort of thinking that Penn State is going to put it in the tank and just you know, play out the string. That won't happen. They'll be a desperate team this week against Iowa. Now, Iowa is also a little bit dressed up because they hammered Minnesota. I didn't get to watch much of that game, but Minnesota struggles historically with 21 personnel offenses. Wisconsin destroyed them last year. They're just not as big up front, and they don't have the skill at the second level defensively to uh, compete with those t- type of teams. They, they want to play a wide-open game, and Iowa wants to play sort of in a phone booth, so that was a favorable matchup for the Hawkeyes. Penn State, however, is is more multiple. They can play any style of ball, I believe, defensively. So, you know, I think Iowa's a little bit dressed up. I think Penn State is a little bit underrated just because of how underwhelming they've been so far. I like Will Levis. I think it's a buy on Penn State, plus 2.5 against Iowa. Next game I watched was USC-Arizona, and I've seen USC twice. I've been on them both times. They've won twice and didn't cover either time, so sort of a disappointing team for me in the early going this year. Their first game against Arizona State, USC, you know, they brought the juice. They haven't been flat either game. That hasn't been the issue. It's just they've faced teams that were extremely, extremely hungry and had really good defensive game plans for this air raid offense that USC likes to uh, deploy. Now, week one at Arizona State was a, an electric atmosphere, and I give a lot of credit to Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce, who were splitting the defensive coordinator roles at Arizona State. They came out with a monstrous game plan. They played all kinds of really good, well-disguised zone coverages, and it gave the air raid fits. Now, I don't know if Slovis is just not seeing the field clearly, but they have to be able to adjust better against zone defenses than they have the first two weeks. The Arizona game this week, I didn't see as much, to be honest, as I saw week one. Um, but USC had a number of chances in short yardage and in the low red zone to score touchdowns, and they were unable to do so. So they're having a little bit of a tough time playing uh, in a phone booth right now and against zone coverage. 
but I think they get a pretty good spot this week against Utah. They, they're two and a half point favorites. Utah hasn't played a game yet this year. And I didn't love Utah's culture at the end of last season. You know, they sent a lot of guys to the league. They were supposed to be a powerhouse in the Pac-12. They played awful in the conference championship game. I just saw a lot of negative things happening in that program. And in their matchup against USC last season, uh, they didn't have many answers for the air raid. USC lost two quarterbacks in that game. They were on their third QB and still managed to score 30 points against a good Utah defense. But Utah loves to live and die, but with man coverage. And that's not a great matchup against Air Raid. They're probably going to try to play a lot of zone because of the film from the first two weeks. That being said, that's not their identity. So anytime you can get a team playing uh, out of their comfort zone, I think that's a favorable matchup for the opponent. So I do, I'm concerned about USC's long-term potential going forward. They're not like a permanent buy for me. But I do think this week uh, against Utah, they, they have a, a nice matchup and, and two and a half is not too much to lay in this game. I would lay anything, you know, four or less. I actually expect this line to go up. We'll see what happens there. But give me the Trojans minus two and a half against Utah. <clears throat> Next game I saw, I, I'm going to have a hard time taking much from going forward. Just wanted to touch on it because I watched the entire game. And that was Northwestern against Purdue. Northwestern got the win 27-20. They moved to 4-0 on the season. My favorite coach in college football, as most of my uh, loyal listeners know, is Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, The guy is just a master motivator, very detail-oriented, positive personality. Anyway, they've had a great start to the year. They haven't played much, to be fair, but 4-0 in the Big Ten is what it is. Now, the Purdue game, Northwestern sort of led the whole way and kind of managed the game. So I, they could have probably won the game by more if they wanted to. That being said, I didn't love what I saw at the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball. They kind of made the plays that they had to make, which is the Northwestern way when they do have success. You know, they, they're not going to just grind you, you know, five, six yards of carry and control the game. They're going to be great on third down on both sides of the ball which is a high-variance, high-risk game to play. Um, Against the big boys, I'm not sure how it's going to work. I don't bet against Northwestern because their culture is just so strong, and that's not usually a a thing that I want to bet into. Uh, They're getting seven at home against Wisconsin this week, and to me that's a very tall task. Wisconsin is better than years past. They finally have a real quarterback I don't know how much we learned about the Badgers last week after bludgeoning Michigan because of how much shambles Michigan's in. We'll get to that game next. But Wisconsin, notoriously difficult to play against. You know, they hammer the rock, 21 personnel right down your throat. Northwestern is sort of down uh, on the defensive line this year. They're not nearly what they were. Their strength is linebacker and safety play. So interested to see what sort of uh, game plan Pat Fitzgerald deploys against the Badgers. I'm going to sort of just be watching this one and, and not playing either side of it. I, I think some people will be kind of eager to get on Northwestern because they see that catching seven at home undefeated. Uh, I would tread lightly there. I, I think this is going to be a really tall order for the Wildcats. If anyone could do it, they can, but uh, just again, very tough spot. Next game I watched was Wisconsin, Michigan. 
absolute bloodbath, as anyone who watched the game already knows. Uh, Michigan was not ready to play. They got buried in the first half. It was 28 zip before you could blink. Uh, I guess that's it for Harbaugh. You know, I, I haven't really been a defender of his, but I haven't been calling for his head either. Uh, but now, now it's clearly time. They they kind of got some garbage time stuff going at the end of the first half with a backup quarterback that infused a little energy into them, but th- they really showed no uh, no intestinal fortitude whatsoever in this game. Wisconsin had their backups in in the fourth quarter and were still running, you know, two or three base run plays, fullback dive, iso, toss. They were just running the down Michigan starters' throats, which is a very alarming sign for the Wolverines. You know, that they're at Rutgers this week. They opened at eight-and-a-half-point favorites. Did the Wolverines, and it's down to seven-and-a-half now. I haven't seen Rutgers yet this year, but I understand they're doing some nice things with Shiano. They've been in uh, all their games. They have some wins. So I'm staying away here only because I don't know enough about Rutgers, but Michigan is not a team I'm looking to back right now. I, I You know, it's got to be, the end has to be near uh, for this Harbaugh effort. And Wisconsin, we talked about before, they're going to be laying seven points in Evanston against the undefeated Northwestern uh fighting Fitzgerald's and again a spot that if I'm gun to my head betting the game I guess I have to go with uh, Wisconsin but not one to bet against Northwestern into that sort of culture but this is a game I'm really looking forward to watching because on paper Wisconsin uh, is better than a seven-point favorite so be, be a fun one to watch next game I watched was Washington against Oregon State and hang on one second I want to get the names right here. This was kind of a wacky Pac-12 after dark game. Um, I was impressed with both teams in this spot. Just want to get the names right here. Washington quarterback played really well, better than I expected in this game. Uh, Jimmy Lake, the Washington football Huskies head coach, had his team absolutely amped and locked in from the opening snap. I was super impressed with them. I kind of thought this could be a, you know, this was their first game. Uh, They've had Peterson there for a long time. Sometimes that transition to a new coach after you've had such stability could be tricky. But they came to play against Oregon State. And Oregon State now has had two really tough matchups against Washington State and then Washington. They've been physically overmatched in both games. And in the first half of both games, they actually looked like they were going to get their doors blown off. But they found some backdoor covers. You know, they they, uh, they kept it relatively close against Washington State and somehow were within one score against the Huskies. Uh, I think Oregon State culturally is going the right direction. They have some talent. They're young. But I think they're a team that's going to get better. Um, they catch five and a half points at home against Cal this week. Cal got destroyed by UCLA. I did not see that game for full disclosure, but that's a really bad sign. I think Oregon State, after two games that they really had very little shot of winning on paper, has a good chance to pull off of the home upset against Cal. So I'll be taking the five and a half with the Beavers um, this week. Washington moving forward, they're 11 and a half point favorites home against Arizona. I think Arizona may be primed for a bit of a letdown off that big-time effort against USC that fell just short. Uh, I like Washington to, to take a step forward uh, this week. You know, they, they got the win against Oregon State, but it wasn't 
as pretty as they may have liked it to be after such a strong you know first half performance there's some stuff on special teams they could clean up I think they'll be focused and uh, eager and willing to improve and I think they're easily two scores better than Arizona if not three scores so I'll be playing the Huskies minus 11 and a half and that's pretty much it for college football this week like I said I didn't get to watch as many games as I normally would like to because of the Masters uh, because I'm fighting this ridiculous cold, sort of a combination of those two things. But that's where I stand on college football. So take a quick break and get to NFL. All right, so the first NFL game, obviously, I, that everyone else saw this week as well, was Thursday night, Colts-Titans. Um, kind of sick of these primetime AFC South games, to be honest with you. I know these are two solid teams, but I wasn't all that hyped over it. And my first takeaway is that the Titans always come to play. I mean, they're not very good on paper. You know, their strength of their football team is actually their offense with Tannehill and their skill guys. You know, Jonu Smith, um, obviously A.J. Brown, their their receiving core is, is really deep and talented. But internally, you know, they're both lines slightly overrated. Uh, corners, safety... They're a little bit weak on paper, if you ask me. But Tennessee does come to the party, you know, every week with a lot of juice. Which That's what makes them dangerous. That's why they contend. That's why they compete. They need to get better roster-wise. And as the season moves on and they start to, you know, face tougher opponents that are going to not be flat, I think the Titans are going to sort of continue to slide a little bit off the radar. Uh, I look for them against more mentally weak teams. But this game specifically... Uh, the Colts, I thought, were pretty impressive. You know, they they gave up some big plays at times. They got lucky on a Brown drop in the first quarter, or they would have been down two scores and totally out of their comfort zone. I don't love Indianapolis long-term going forward. Two reasons. One, they're really bad in short yardage on offense. They don't seem to have a clear, concise goal or game plan in those situations. They kind of just run their base running schemes which to me doesn't make any sense. Uh, They're going to be in a lot of third and shorts because Rivers checks the ball down, so you better be elite in that area. They went for it five times on fourth down Thursday night. I believe they converted three of them, but they're playing a really dicey game, uh, not being better in short yardage, and a lot of it has to do with their offensive line not being very good. I think the Colts are perceived as having this powerhouse O-line, which is not the case. Um... But they need to get better in that area. The Colts' defense, however, you know, Eberflus has done a phenomenal job. He's a great defensive coordinator. They're starting to mix in some man coverage with their zone looks. So I do think they match up okay uh, with Green Bay this week. That's who they play. They opened as two-point dogs. Now they're point-and-a-half favorites at home against the Packers. I guess the public didn't like Green Bay's effort against Jacksonville yesterday. But I'm going to probably stay away on the side for this game. I'm selling slash neutral on Indianapolis, you know, going forward. But I do think the under the total of 52 is a is a pretty sound play. Actually floated up a bit from 49, which is somewhat concerning, but uh, I'll take the extra three uh, points of breakage there and go under 52. Again, the Colts are bad in short yardage on offense. That could lead to more field goals. And their zone and disguises defensively. This is the main reason. I think will give Aaron Rodgers a lot of trouble. He likes to play against declared coverages, straight up man-to-man. He's not 
overly proficient at reading zone coverages. Uh, he's a backyard football quarterback. People are going to destroy me for saying that. He, you know, he's an all. Rodgers is an all time great. I, I get it, but <clears throat> he makes his bread and butter by being an athlete, seeing a receiver and delivering the ball on target. Not necessarily pre snap, post snap uh, coverage recognition, and I think that could be a problem against the Colts this week. So I'm not going to be on either side, but small lean on under 52. I, I don't love totals in general in the NFL. They're very volatile. And, you know, the officials have a big say in it. If they're going to call every little hand check by the defenders, all of a sudden you could have 30-yard pass interference calls and the game just goes haywire. But uh, if anything, under 52. The Titans are catching 6.5 at Baltimore. I'll get to the Ravens later. Um, I think this is a bad spot for Tennessee, so I'm going to be looking to sell them at 6.5 in Baltimore. But like I said, I'll get to the Ravens uh, with the final game that I saw this week. Next game I had the chance to see was Giants-Eagles, and I was keenly aware of this game because I played the Giants to win the NFC East uh, last week. I I actually got them at plus 1,200 on DraftKings, which I thought was a a really good value bet because they have the tiebreaker with with Washington. To me, Dallas is eliminated. They, They have no fight left, and... The Eagles' remaining schedule, their next five games, they're going to be dogs in all five. Now, I thought the Giants could beat Philadelphia yesterday, which they ended up doing, and that would make them really a coin flip in the division in my book, and you're going to give me 12-1 to 1 on coin flips. I have to take that. So, again, I was kind of rooting for the Giants yesterday, so could be a little biased. Make sure you're aware of that when you're sort of evaluating my, my post-game scouting reports. You know, everyone has biases, and it's important to – sort of try to re- un- remove those layers as a listener when you're going to make your own decisions. But the Giants-Eagles game yesterday wasn't overly impressed with either team. I'm hearing on New York Sports Radio today how amazing of a great win it was for the Giants, how good Daniel Jones looked. To me, that that's kind of what the Giants have done all year. That they've, They didn't, you know, s- sort of get any huge monkeys off their back yesterday, in my opinion. The Eagles just consistently shot themselves in the foot. They were very inefficient in terms of just simple execution. You know, I can't tell you how many times they had Miles Sanders on a check down and the ball just was not delivered accurately or on time or the ball was dropped. The Eagles just don't understand how to control a game from a momentum standpoint. They were pounding the rock and they just went away from it suddenly. I think Doug Peterson is a terrible coach extremely overrated. Eagles are a hard sell for me going forward. Uh, I think people might think they're still live because, hey, they could still win the NFC East. I just don't think this team has a a backbone. They don't believe in themselves. They're not playing with confidence. Eagles are a major sell for me going forward. Uh, The G-Men have a bye. Then they're at Cincinnati. To me, that is a a toss-up of all toss-ups games. So I'm going to be interested in watching how that goes. I need the Giants to get the win there to to keep pace in the division, but the Giants, I've been kind of high on them, obviously, if I bet them to win the a- NFC East, um, but I don't think this was a such a huge hurdle. I think that, I do think they get the bye at a nice time. They're going to get their rookie from Alabama, the safety Xavier McKinney, back. Uh, he hasn't played yet for them this season, so that might bolster the defense a bit, but Giants, positive to neutral on. I don't think they turned the massive corner where I'm just going to be hammering them as road favorites at Cincinnati. So that's going to be a wait and see for me after the bye week. 
Eagles, I'm selling. Uh, they're catching three and a half now at Cleveland. That opened at plus two. Three and a half is not going to be enough in that game. I'll, I'll take the Browns and lay the points. Next game, we'll go to the four o'clock slate. Chargers, Dolphins. I didn't watch every play of these three four o'clock games that we're going to discuss, but I saw probably 60 to 70% of all three of them when you sort of combine everything. I'm buying the Chargers. Reason why is because they're a team right now that is not comfortable playing from behind. And I say that because Justin Herbert now has had an amazing start to his rookie campaign. He kind of came out of nowhere. In my, in my eyes, I expected him to not be a, a great pro. And all of a sudden, he's just having monster week after monster week. But when you look at that, a lot of them were in positive game scripts. And we talked when, when I had Coach Petrucci on to discuss wide receivers back in March before the draft. I mean, uh, quarterbacks back in March before the draft. He excels on scripted plays, meaning specifically designed one-way reads, uh, play-action deep shots, you know, half-field rolls, stuff where he doesn't have to really evaluate coverage, stuff where he can just let his God-given talent and arm strength sort of guide the way. And Herbert has really excelled in those areas. To me, he hasn't been great at they know you're they know we're throwing. We have to throw. Can I find the the correct option? To me, he's been dicey in that role, and I don't think you're gonna get in that situation this week against the Jets at home. They opened at eight and a half point favorites and went it's now at minus nine. I think anything single digits is fine at home against the Jets in this spot because, again, the Chargers are going to get a positive game script. They're going to be able to pound the rock. Balazs was impressive yesterday against Miami. I think the Chargers um, sort of take out some frustration and bury a Jets team that people may be high on now because they were tight with New England. Um, but that that game was now going to be two weeks in the rear view, and I think the Jets are probably checked out. Uh, give me the Chargers in that spot. The Dolphins, I mean, I don't know what to take from Miami off this game. They continue to get better as a team. They've had a lot of favorable uh, high-variance plays this season. They've been really good on special teams. Their kicker is making everything. I'm kind of neutral on Miami. I don't have a I, – I like to a long-term. I don't know. He hasn't been put in spots in these first few games that are – overly confusing for a young player um the cardinal game was impressive but i think they got some breaks with beneficial calls the dolphins i have a hard time with right now to be honest so i'm neutral on them they're going to be at denver they're open that plus one now they're minus two and a half i think that's probably because denver played so poorly against oakland yesterday or las vegas i should say but the Dolphins kind of puzzle me. I love their roster going forward. Again, a major long-term buy. I'm just not sure short-term I want to invest in them. I think they're going to be kind of a buzz team. I think the public will be all over the Dolphins this week. I'll sit and watch that game and, and, and kind of wait for things to develop going forward. I like to see my boy Malcolm Perry from Navy uh, get some action this week. He played really well. Had a couple big catches for the Dolphins, so that, that was fun to watch. Anyway, a team I'm looking forward to in the future, but not necessarily this season. But, you know, they're going to probably be a playoff team. It's, there's no denying it. Um, we'll see how they do uh, down the stretch. Next game I saw bits and pieces of was Bills Cardinals. 
Uh, Buffalo has a bye week coming up, and then they play the Chargers. The Cardinals are at Seattle. Uh, wacky game. The Cards play a lot of these ridiculous games for a number of reasons. Cliff Kingsbury is sort of you know, a run-and-shoot guy that can create big chunk plays, but is inefficient in four-minute offense and you know controlling the football and finding a way to get a win when you have a lead. And they'd almost burnt them again this week. By the grace of God, they completed that Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins. But the Cardinals had two possessions in the fourth quarter under four minutes with the lead and were not able to get a single first down or even really drain anything off the clock. And that's back-to-back weeks on four-minute offense and on third and short that they have been very poor. It's something that they seem to not want to put pay any attention to, and it's going to cost them going forward. They will not be a contender in the NFC uh, once playoff time rolls around. You have to be able to run the football. You have to be able to close out a game when you have the league. I know in, when you have the lead. I know in today's league it's, it's, a, it's more uh, sexy to kind of sling it all over the lot and create these massive plays, but at some point you're going to have the ball and need a first down to win, and the teams that can do it will advance, and the teams that can't won't. So I'm sort of selling the Cardinals long-term, but they do get a decent matchup at Seattle this week. I think the line moving from 5.5 to 3 probably means we don't have any more value on the Cardinals, but if that drifts back over a field goal, uh, I'll probably make a play there. I I didn't see Seattle uh, against the Rams, uh, tough times right now for the Seahawks. I think they're kind of being unfairly destroyed. I don't know if they're as bad as what the public is making it out to be. Jamal Adams wasn't healthy. He comes back. He's not been as sharp. I, I think they'll be okay long-term Seattle if I had to you know, make a decision on that right now. But I didn't get to watch any film on that game. So, again, Cardinals plus 5.5 would have been nice. Down to 3, sort of a no-play. Interesting watch for me. But again, my main issue is the fact that they cannot close it out in four-minute offense. The Bills, you know, they're, they've been sort of more erratic than I expected this year. They kind of hung their hat on consistency, you know, last season. And this year, they kind of have these flashes of brilliance and then lulls, even within a single game. They're a very volatile team. Um you know, they probably have a big enough lead in the division that they could be okay and kind of cruise to the AFC East title. But I think they'll probably, they're a team that can beat anyone or kind of lose to anyone. So I think they'll stumble at some point long term. Uh, the Charger game two weeks from now, too early to evaluate. I want to see how the Chargers come out and play against the Jets. But that, that probably will be a game I'll be looking to avoid, kind of a clash of styles there. But Buffalo, I bet them preseason to win the AFC East. I, I like them. I like Josh Allen. But I've been a little disappointed with their Jekyll and Hyde nature, even within a, a single ball game. Uh, the last 4 o'clock game that I was paying attention to was Bengals-Steelers. Uh, Pittsburgh is a classic bully team, especially at home. They want to intimidate you and get you off your game within the first, you know, five to ten minutes of the first quarter and sort of make you play their brand of football, which they were able to do yesterday. It was crazy conditions, super windy. Um, A lot of storms in the Northeast yesterday made some of these games kind of interesting. The Bengals, to me, roster-wise, I like what they're doing. I love their talent on offense. T. Higgins has been unbelievable. 
they're very poorly coached and they don't show a lot of confidence. The Bengals, to me, are a team that when they are the better team, which they will be this week at Washington, I think they're actually going to be okay. I think they'll get a win at the Redskins. They opened as a pick em. It's up to plus one right now because of how bad they were yesterday. But I think they'll be fine. You know, they've been pretty good against the spread, Cincinnati. But going forward, I think as these spreads narrow, there won't be as much backdoor equity as far as, you know, when they're, you know, plus seven and a half, plus eight. You assume that when they're down two scores, they might get a late score to save you. I, I don't see that happening as much going forward. I think they are a team that might either get buried or actually beat some of these bad teams because of their talent. Uh, yesterday was just a brutal spot for them that you could tell if you bet Cincinnati in that game, you were nauseous by before there was even a score in the game. You could just tell that they were scared of that environment. Pittsburgh showed up to play man's football and Cincinnati kind of had their tail tucks between their legs. They were not ready for that type of environment and physicality and just toughness. So that was an alarming performance for them going forward, but they, they get a uh, sort of a nice break this week at the Redskins, who are kind of a lifeless football team. I know they made a nice comeback against the Lions last week. Everyone seems to be able to do that, so I'm not going to put much stock into that effort. Uh, I like Cincinnati this week as a buy, but selling against physical, nasty football teams coming down the stretch. And ba- bad field conditions are not good for Cincinnati, so let's keep an eye on that going forward. They want a nice, fast, firm track, and, and they want to be able to sling it and play empty. Uh, if they're in a phone booth, they're in a little bit of trouble offensively. So that was my take on Cincinnati. Pittsburgh is 9.5-point favorites at Jacksonville this week. Actually just floated up to 10. Um, Jags kept it close with Green Bay. I did not see that game for full disclosure, so I'm not going to really take a stand on Pitt-Jacksonville. But the Steelers, you know, they're they're a contender. There's no doubt. They're nine and zero. I feel like people are still sort of sleeping on them a bit. But they they play a tough brand of football because they can offensively spread you out, or they can pound the rock. They're very multiple. Uh, defensively, they kind of play with a with a lot of energy. They're kind of a momentum defense. I do think you can kind of grind them down a bit if you have a good offensive line, but bad O line and any sort of lacking of confidence they sort of smell blood in the water Pittsburgh and they're going to blow you out so I'll I'll look the Jags to me are not a team that really gets intimidated so at first glance I don't love this spot for Pittsburgh but I would have to watch the uh the Jacksonville Green Bay game before making a final stand there so that's sort of a, a sit and watch for me on Pittsburgh finally Sunday night football Pats Ravens wow this this was a game that I'm so disappointed in myself because I did not do my homework. I just saw that. I thought I thought the line was wrong, quite frankly. I thought the Ravens should be a bigger favorite. I thought New England couldn't possibly move the ball through the air. Uh, so being one-dimensional, I thought the Ravens would be able to hone in against the run. You know, they, they drafted some defensive linemen to sort of bolster that area. Now, Calais Campbell being out really hurt the Ravens' defensive line. And then when they lost Brendan Williams, their nose in the second quarter, things got really, really ugly for them. And and it's quite simple. New England's offensive line across the board, their five starters are all grading out within the top five in the entire league at their respective positions. 
And I didn't know that before the game, to be honest. I knew New England's line was playing well, but I didn't know it was this elite. You know, they have a plethora of gap scheme runs that will give defenses fit fits. It's very, very difficult to blitz against gap scheme, despite what uh, my buddy Coach Ruley says. I still think it's a tricky thing to get done in reality. Uh, maybe at some lower levels, you, you could just have the the talent to sort of guess wrong and still be okay. But the Ravens were guessing last night defensively. That Let's start with that. You know, the New England lined up and ran ISO, toss, counter, you know, their, their entire gap scheme series. And the Ravens looked totally shell-shocked defensively. You know, the Ravens, to me, didn't play a game that they were necessarily flat or intimidated. They just lost. I think if they lined up again with New England tomorrow, they lose again. And the following day, they lose again. I don't think it was something of, uh, you know, where they kind of caught off, got caught off guard like the Titans did to them last year in the playoffs. So this, to me, is just a really bad matchup for Baltimore, especially with the injuries on their defensive line. But going forward, New England, with this brand of football they play that is so rare in today's NFL, I think they're going to continue to have success against teams that are bad in the front seven. And Houston, who they play this week, uh, is really bad up front. You know, with the exception of J.J. Watt, they really don't have much in terms of run support in their front seven. So I think New England is going to build on the success they had last week and continue to just pound the rock. Uh, they opened as two-and-a-half-point dogs against Houston. They're now one-point favorites on the road. I think that's fine. As long as we don't have to cross three, I'm, I'm okay with buying New England. Um, you know, so sometimes there's something to be said for zigging when everyone else zags. And I thought the Patriots had a sort of a poor draft, but... Maybe their plan all along was to just beef up with tight ends and offensive line and play this sort of different brand of ball in such a pass-happy era. They're going to play alpha, pound the rock, run run it. And I think it could work. I, I think New England going forward is dangerous, especially against teams with weak front sevens like I've already attempted to articulate. It would bother me that their defense is not great. They really need Gilmore to come back to make any sort of noise. But I think they'll continue to their winning ways this week uh, at Houston. Now the Ravens, they're six and a half point favorites against Tennessee this week. Uh, revenge game from last year's uh, divisional round embarrassment. Now the Ravens, to me, it's simple. Defensively, they have playmakers in the secondary. They're kind of small, though. Patrick Queen, when they drafted him, I was concerned about his size. You saw it last night come to fruition. He got sort of bodied and manhandled in the box. Uh, I'm not sure the status of Brandon Williams. They need him back. They need Calais Campbell back for some more size up front. But this week is a good spot. Uh, six and a half is always a good number to bet on a favorite. You know, more games than ever are landing on seven. So anytime you can get on the good side of that, I think it's a good number. And the Titans offensive line is not nearly as good as the public thinks. They have some key injuries up front as well. They don't grade out anywhere near what New England's offensive line did. So I think the Ravens actually match up relatively well with Tennessee. It's going to hurt me because I I made a bad play on the Ravens last night, but I'll be back on Baltimore minus 6.5 this week, home against the Titans. I think the Titans might even be a public dog in this game, which we know is a, a losing recipe. And one more trend, teams that get blown out in prime time, this is something I've sort of followed for a number of years that just of something I've noticed, 
when you get blown out in prime time, and last night was a blowout. I don't care if they lost by six points. The Patriots blew them out of, out of that game. The Ravens were never winning in under any scenario, no matter how many quarters they played. Um, but teams that get blown out in prime time typically show up in this league the following week. Saw it again with the Bucks this week. They got destroyed by the Saints on uh, Sunday Night Football last week. This week they get an easy cover against Carolina. I think the same thing happens with the Ravens. I think they disappointed a lot of folks last night, and they're going to bounce back big time against the Titans. So that's pretty much my roundup from this week's football slate of college and pro. And uh, again, it's important to sort of be ahead of the curve and and uncover the the real data from these raw analytics. You know, analytics get a bad a bad rap right now because a lot of these coaches are sort of, you know, taking them at face value instead of, you know, case specifically analyzing stuff. They're just blindly going on fourth down, et cetera, et cetera. Two point conversions. People are doing making crazy decisions. Anyway, analytics are a huge part of it, but if you can unpack some of the real data that's you know, lying just below the surface, I think that's when you get a, a real edge. So hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'll talk to everyone next Monday and, and good luck this week.